Good morning and welcome in another edition of the Nick Shepkowski College Football Morning Announcements episode number three ready to get you going have some news in regard to media days in one big time conference so power five conference at least that we will share with you one college football coach at a premier program he says that his conference and every conference should play regardless of all if all member schools or not are ready to go in the fall And we have a couple of college football teams who have had recent struggles who are tearing up the track in recruiting. And also, Notre Dame fans, something special for you at the end here today. There's a new commitment, a preferred walk-on, has been added to the lineup or to the list of commitments for the class of 2020 or the recruiting class of 2020. We'll share that with you here coming up as well in this, the latest episode of the morning announcements, college football morning announcements with your host, Nick Shepkowski. Let's start in the Big 12 where the news comes out on the afternoon of Wednesday this week. The media days that we've come to know and love and are kind of like a rite of passage to the fall, they're going virtual. And it's not so much a surprise that that's happening, but in the Big 12 they announced that on Wednesday – the media days this season will be done all virtually. So maybe you're not going to get the uh, the odd exchanges that you're so used to with whether it's young, inexperienced reporters or just coaches that don't want to be at the media days. But that is what you will have. And at Big 12, they had gone from doing it at AT&T Stadium in Arlington in July, and now the Big 12. Going to be the first one of the conferences that goes virtual with this. I Probably it's a trendsetter. I would think that they're the first of several that will probably follow suit with that. Who knows who uh, the coaches are going to be able to, I don't know. The Big 12 one's not the ones that are usually too crazy. The Big 10 one gets pretty interesting because Jim Harbaugh always does that thing where he gets rather defensive fairly early on and makes it very weird for everyone in that room in downtown Chicago each and every year. But beyond that, it's the SEC. That's the media days that everyone seems to really care about because they do do it differently down in the Southeast Conference. But as of now, the Big 12, the first to cancel their traditional media days that were set for July 20th and 21st in Arlington, and they're going to hold the event virtually instead. So there's the news out of that. Uh, James Franklin, head coach at Penn State, says that conferences, they shouldn't worry about all their member teams being ready to go with college football. Instead says that they should play even without all members. We kind of talked about this uh, yesterday or two days ago where there's the idea that um, it was one of the posts on fightingirishwire.usatoday.com that you can visit about a week or so ago, wrote a post about how the president at the University of Iowa had said that their plan as of now is for June 1st to get everything up and running. Athletes allowed back on campus, they can start training and get going that way. And my thought on it then was, all right, well, that's great if things are not as serious in Iowa as they are. I happen to live just outside Chicago. Still, you can say you agree or don't don't agree with what the governor's done here, but it's still a very serious matter where numbers continue to rise in Chicago and Chicago land. So if Northwestern is held to or has a different 
way about them right now than say in Iowa, a more rural school, or I you can I, whichever schools you want to add from the Big Ten into that conversation. If you want to say that uh, Northwestern, based in Evanston, isn't able to play because of the concerns or host home games because of the concerns, or maybe the University of Michigan that's just, what, a half hour outside of Detroit where it's still seen as a hotbed for a lot of this. But things are okay in Iowa. Things are okay in Madison, Wisconsin, and rates have slowed and they've been on top of it or, or not not been hit as hard. I mean, that's good news because it's cities and it's college cities that aren't being affected as much. But my question was, what do you do with the conference schools that don't have that good fortune? James Franklin has issued his thought, at least with it. He said he expects a way inconsistent return across Power 5 conferences because the state-by-state restrictions and reopening of plans. And the direct quote from him, I can't imagine that right now we're going to all open at the same time, he told ESPN. If the SEC, for example, opens a month earlier than the Big Ten and the Big Ten is able to open up in 12 of the 14 schools, if two of those schools can't open, I don't see a conference, any conference, penalizing 80 or 75% of the schools because 25% of them can't open. To me, unless there's a level playing field and the NCAA comes out and says that no one's opening before this date to try and help with that, what you really end up doing is you end up hurting the conference, Franklin said. Say two or three of the schools in our conference that are ranked in the top 10 have the ability to open and a couple schools don't, and you make the decision to hold the entire conference back, you're hurting the conference as a whole in terms of your ability to compete. And I think it's an interesting point there. He's willing to go without the rest of his conference. And I would be curious to see, just kind of knowing the lay of the land in the Midwest, states that are affected by this more, or at least universities that would be more concerned about it, it doesn't take a whole lot of common sense to figure out the ones that are closer to the bigger cities. Minneapolis, Minnesota, right where the University of Minnesota is there. It's a program that took a giant step last year winning the Outback Bowl against Auburn. Um, Northwestern, I mentioned, just outside Chicago, just north of Chicago in Evanston. That's obviously still a different situation being faced with COVID-19 coronavirus than in rural Illinois, like Champaign, for, for example. You go to Michigan, like I said, the University of Michigan, just outside Detroit. Things are probably significantly different there than in in Happy Valley, where Penn State plays. So it's interesting to me that uh, James Franklin's on board with, well, if they're not ready to go, screw them. Leave them in the dust. We'll play without them. I would be very curious to see a rebuttal from some of the other member schools where things maybe aren't looking as good, at least uh, as I talk to you here on May 7th, the morning of May 7th. So that's what James Franklin has to say. I would guess that Pat Fitzgerald, I would guess that Jim Harbaugh, I would guess P.J. Fleck, if they were asked or able to be reached, would have some strong comments against that. But, um, yeah, James Franklin, you want headlines. You got your headlines right there. Let's flip to recruiting here very briefly before we wrap up here on Episode 3 of the Nick Shepkowski College Football Morning Announcements. And you guys remember... 
back in last September. God, it feels like so long ago, doesn't? Football was being played. The sun was out. It was warm. It was beautiful out. Well, a weird little thing happened in Rocky Top where the Tennessee Volunteers started off 0-2. And it wasn't just a regular 0-2. They started off with a loss to Georgia State, then a home loss to BYU. And then after bouncing back against the FCS school, they go and they get throttled by Florida. And it looked like Tennessee was just headed for the complete pits of college football. And you had people calling for the job of Pruitt. And instead, what you now have there is a Tennessee team that played well towards the end of that year, end up actually winning the Gator Bowl in a comeback win over Indiana. They get a victory in that, and all of a sudden, you look at standings right now or recruiting rankings right now, the University of Tennessee is being seen as a top-five school in recruiting rankings. I mean, they went on a run there really the end of April through here the first week of May where they got commitments on the 26th, the 27th, the 28th, the 30th, the dead two on April 30th, another pair on May 3rd, and then one more on May 4th. So, I mean, you're talking just over a week stretch there where they have seven players recruit. And, I mean, you're looking not just like, okay, it's just not just names. Have a pair of five-star recruits in there, an outside linebacker in Terrence Lewis, a defensive end in Dylan Brooks, both committed in that run. Another few, uh, a couple of four stars in there and a safety and a wide receiver that committed in uh, in a running back in Cody Brown that committed. So three four-star recruits and a couple of three-star recruits there as well. And all of a sudden, because of the numbers, because of that, you look up and Tennessee is widely regarded as one of the top five easily uh, teams in recruiting for this season. And it's like, oh my God. What in the world is going on there at Tennessee? Because Jeremy Pruitt was, he was about to get run out of the state, it seemed like, in the middle of September last year. And he has things turned in the right direction. Now how much is that going to matter? Here's what I want to bring to your attention with Tennessee. And can Pruitt get different results than Butch Jones did in his years there at the University of Tennessee? Because I think... I was at the right age where I started watching college football, and Tennessee was maybe not quite the it program yet, but in my first years of being a real big college football fan is when Peyton Manning arrived on campus, and they were a regular top three, top four team preseason and playing in a big-time bowl game at the end of each and every year. And it's safe to say Tennessee hasn't found that success really since they chased Philip Fulmer out of the head coaching job. Anyway, I say all this to say all of that to say this. Tennessee, after doing a little bit of research here, from 2014 to 2017, their recruiting classes wound up ranking an average of 10.5 in the nation. So you're looking at pretty doggone near a top 10 class year after year after year. Some were higher. I think they were as high as sixth at one point in there. Some were a little bit lower. They were down in the 20s on one of them. But you average it out, and it's a, it's a recruiting class that averaged just outside a top 10 ranking in that run. And in that run of all those players that were recruited in that time, 
a whopping nine of them got drafted in four years worth of recruits. Which, and you're not talking about guys that were like, oh my God, well, yeah, they had a couple of first-round picks or a couple of uh, top-tier first-round picks. That's not so much what happened with Tennessee. So what are we going to see here with the Volunteers in that will it be Tennessee recruiting well like they've done and not developing players again like seemingly has been the problem there? Or will it be Jeremy Pruitt showing an ability to get players to improve once they're on campus and improve significantly? Because a very key part of that as well goes to when you look at Tennessee, all right, they made these great strides and they turned the season around and things were great last year. They end up winning the Gator Bowl over Indiana. Okay, yes, after the way it started, I don't think any Tennessee fan would be upset about that. Like, okay, all right, yep, get to a decent enough bowl game, win it in pretty exciting fashion against an Indiana team that's not known for their football dominance, but it's still a bowl win. Things look like they're going the right way. With Tennessee, what you have to consider here is where you look at the SEC kind of being tiered right now, they are record-wise, they're looking all right here after last year. But you look at how they compete against the big dogs in this conference, and they get the crossover game with the uh, SEC West team, their rival in that is Alabama. It's a tough draw each year. But over the last 10 years against Florida, Georgia, and Alabama, who Tennessee plays each and every season, they've gone a combined 3-27 and with an average margin of defeat against Florida by 11 points. They were 1-9 in that run against Florida, by the way. 2-8 and eight against Georgia over the last 10 years with an average margin of defeat by 13.4 points. And they put up a big goose egg against Alabama, 0-10 over the last 10 years, and don't exactly play the tide particularly close, not that many teams do, but the average margin of defeat against Alabama, 28.3 points per game is what Alabama is outscoring Tennessee by the last decade. And it's one of those where, okay, Tennessee, their recruiting is improving. How much is that going to matter? Because they haven't been light years behind in recruiting, at least, when you compare them to the Floridas and the Georgias and Alabamas here recently. No, they're not quite on par, but they're not light years out there. It's not like they're bringing in 50th-ranked recruiting classes or anything like that. They're respectable recruiting classes are brought in, and development's just not been a thing. So that's where Pruitt has to take his next step is development. Seems to clearly have figured something out in the recruiting game, and that'll hold uh, that'll tell you a lot about what the future of Tennessee football ends up being there. Uh, lots of news out there in regards to something that we discussed a little bit uh, yesterday as well in the USC realm of things, in their recruiting classes improving also. And Clay Helton deserves credit for that, for kind of reworking his entire recruiting ideas and philosophies and the way everything's done out at USC. And their goal to now be the team that they look at it and they want to own California. And that's what they used to do back when they were back when they were 
recruiting the Reggie Bushes and the Matt Leinerts and all of that, when they were pulling that off successfully, those were the kind of players that they were being able to recruit from California, getting them to stay home. And instead, the last few years, you've seen Oregon come in, and it's Oregon that pulls out the best players from California seemingly year after year after year. And Clay Helton's made it clear that that's his goal, to keep talent in that state. And we'll see how that all plays out. But a significantly better recruiting class already early on for the Trojans than we've seen here in some time. Uh, Notre Dame fans, I know you listen to this as well as we're linked up and uh, posted through the Fighting Irish Wire website that I manage and edit, fightingirishwire.usatoday.com. If you've not yet checked it out, some late news comes out on Wednesday night. Notre Dame gets a preferred walk-on to announce his commitment to the University of Notre Dame, um, and that's Brennan Wicks. Brennan Wicks, a walk-on offensive lineman, uh, put on Twitter on Wednesday night, extremely blessed to announce that I'll be continuing my academic and athletic career at the University of Notre Dame. Puts the little shamrock emoji in there. Huge thanks to Coach Jeff Quinn, Aaron Kearney, and Brian Kelly for this great opportunity. Hashtag PWO, preferred walk-on. Hashtag go Irish. So some news there in the recruiting world for that. And also plenty of things on Fighting Irish Wire as well in regards to uh, missing out on Will Shipley. I know that Mike Chen, our guy, put up a few posts in, in regards to players Notre Dame had already offered scholarship offers to and put a few posts out on Wednesday about a few more names that uh, Notre Dame has reached out to and players that they're going to try to fill that running back hole in the 2022 recruiting class with. That's it for episode number three of the College Football Morning Announcements with Nick Shepkowski. When we talk again, I want you guys to start thinking about the 10 best collegiate football players you've ever seen. And I don't ask that to know what they did in the pros. I don't care what they did in the pros. I'm not asking about what they did in the NFL. I want to know the 10 best college football players that you have watched play. Maybe a reason why if it's somebody that maybe not be, maybe isn't seen as like a clear runaway. If you're not giving me like a Vince Young or a Reggie Bush. If it's somebody off the beaten path a little bit, I'd be curious to know why. What what made them so great? Because we're going to discuss that. We're going to have some guests that uh, we have lined up here in the coming days and weeks as well. But that'll do it for the College Football Morning Announcements. I'm Nick Shepkowski. Again, thank you all for listening to episode number three. Check out the work as well, fightingirishwire.usatoday.com. And follow me on Twitter, at Nick Shepkowski there, where I tweet my... Uh, Always 100% correct college football thoughts all year long. Have a great Thursday, and we will talk on Friday morning.